Sometimes it can feel like food has an emotional control over you. Well, it's time to show your food who's boss with Noom. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bench with Bubba, episode 379. I can't believe it's been this. Well, there's been episodes before this one, but tonight we bring back my first guest on Bench with Bubba when the audio quality was probably the best thing you've ever heard since sliced bread. Um, My intros were even worse than they are now. All the stuff was just amazing, but uh, he's been awesome. We, We literally just talked Giants Dodgers for like an hour. And it was it was so much fun. He's a great dude. He's um, like 30,000 times more athletic than I am because he actually gets off his butt and does things. He goes in camps and sees the wilderness. He does great DFS work, great fantasy work. You can find him on Twitter at Brock Nest Monster and over at FTN Daily. Brock Miller, how you doing, my friend? I am I am doing well. I am uh, I'm I'm excited for the weekend. It's been a long week for me. There's um, been so much baseball news to digest this week, um, but. Not, not, not to jump ahead too much. I, I want to, you know, um, I, I want to mention since we got on this call a few minutes ago, we we're talking about some other things, and I've been trying to scroll back through Twitter here, through our Twitter history, our, our interactions together, um, to see how long we've been Twitter homies because it's, it's been a long time. Oh, and wow. you know, you you mentioned that first podcast that we did, um, and yeah, so I'm seeing the first tweet. This was uh, with MLB model and blind capper. And and then the two of us and we were, man, I don't know what we were talking about there. That uh, something about tattoos. Anyway, um, <laughs> that is May 2015. So that is just over six years ago uh, when we uh, became Twitter homies there. And then, uh, yeah, the rest is history, man. It is. It's all history. It's been fun. Lots of fantasy fun. Lots of just fun in general. It's uh, It's been fun uh, watching you, uh, you know, do the uh, the. I'm a, I'm a, all your athletic achievements, like you're doing your competitions, you're running, your box jumping. I see all your all your stuff. You're a crazy man, so it, it's awesome to see. And uh, I'm you're healthy, which is great. Like you had a little scare there, so I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're getting to chat with us, my friend. Yeah, a- absolutely. I just I, I couldn't be more happy to be able to find a little bit of time to fit in to hang out and uh, talk baseball with my homies. I, I do it as often as I can. Uh, like you mentioned, the FTN pod. Uh, FTN Daily, do some some daily stuff there. And then just, man, it, it's been a great season for me. Um, you know, a lot of different people have uh, reached out and done a podcast with me, been uh, a guest in a few different spots. And um, 
you know, like you said, kind of circling back to where it all started. Yep, circling back. Um, speaking of the season as a whole, before we really dive into everything, you said it's been crazy news this week. It seems like every time I do a podcast, I try not to start out with the negative stuff. That's like all we have these days. Um, how have you been dealing with this? I know you play in some, some big leagues. You play in a lot of leagues. How are you handling it? Because everyone's trying to do it differently, scrambling, basically. You know, honestly, I just I, – I thank God I really only have one daily league. Um, it's like a, a, a Roto Grinders uh, league that I'm in where, you know, every day I got to get in there and take a look. Okay, who got hurt? Who am I pulling out? Um, it, it's been nonstop with that league. It's surprisingly gone well because as frustrating as it's felt, um, just just the, the action of getting in there and – grabbing Bregman, you know, grabbing Josh Donaldson or, or, or whoever and uh, sliding those guys out of your lineup. As frustrating as that feels, um, it, that feeling, it's mutual. Everybody's feeling that feeling. Everybody's moving guys out. So uh, as unlucky as it, it maybe has felt so far this season, um, I mean, everybody's kind of in that boat. Yeah, no, that's the, that's a key thing that I've tried to emphasize from time to time when people come and ask me questions or something. I'm like, you're not the only one dealing with this, and if 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 you think you're the only one, and someone says they aren't, they're going to like it's it's going full circle at one point or another. No one's no one's leaving this. It's like Game of Thrones. No one's leaving this one unscathed. Like it's it's coming for you. Just wait for it. It's it doesn't matter who you have. Like I saw Matty Davis. He tweeted out the other day. I think his top four or five picks from Vegas are all on the IL. I know Scott Jenstead is like. TGFBI teams all on the IL. It's crazy yeah. stuff, my friend. But um, you mentioned your daily league. I know you play in some NFBC leagues. Like NFBC, obviously, no trades. I'm just going to jump to the tweet from earlier, which is really, really interesting to me. Um, you have a, a fun little, um, let's say, trade that was offered to you <laughs> earlier. Um, just how bananas is that trade? Like, I'm trying to pull it up right now. Uh, it, actually, I took a picture of it because it'll make this better. Uh, it was, um, where the heck did I put it? Uh, yes, there it is. Okay, so you were going to trade Jose Altuve, Cattell Marte, and Sean Manaya, and they were going to give you Jorge Soler, Whit Merrifield, and Dylan Bundy. But what makes it even better is I always love when someone tells you, you need stolen bases, and Merrifield has half of what your entire team has. I always love when someone tries to tell me what I need in a trade. So how'd that go for you? You know, and, and it's funny, too, and you, I don't want to make that person feel bad. Maybe they're listening right now. I don't think they are. But I – um. <laughs> when I first saw the trade, I mean, I was like laughing it off and I didn't even see that little note that they, that they had put on there. And I was taking a look and I'm like, okay, like it, it for what it's worth, it is a, a rotisserie league. It's on ESPN. It's not an NFBC league, you know, being that it's a, a trade offer. Um, but it is categories and, and they're right. I think I'm a little bit back in stolen bases, but I'm first, I'm been, between first and second place in that league in the last couple of weeks or whatever, um, I, I just I, I I took a look at their I just tried to see it through their lenses. I, I tried to look like okay, a little bit of a bump in stolen bases there. Obviously, Altuve's done stealing. I, I don't think that's ever yeah. coming back or whatever. Um, but I mean, Al, Altuve's been great. I'm taking a look. You know, Wit Wit's kind of tailed off. You know, he started off that first week. He hit like two or three home runs the first week of the season. And of course, all the steals and the steals have been great, but you know, Wits real really tailed off since then. I mean, I'm almost looking at it as like, Al, I don't know that I would do Altuve for for Wit straight up, mm-hmm. and and then you know you take a look like okay, and and Sean Manaya for Dylan Bundy. <laughs> I don't know who hasn't been on Twitter this week and hasn't tweeted out that that's it. I'm done yeah. with Bundy. I, did <laughs> I mean, 
<laughs> so a big step down there for the pitcher there. I can't, I can't, what, what did you think? I mean, like, yeah. Mm, I mean, it is a bit of a home league. Maybe yeah. they're just Those will happen. some Those kind will of happen. a homer there, but I mean, it took two seconds to take a look there and be like, Hey man, that's a downgrade at every single one of those guys that I'm trading away. <laughs> yeah. But that, that, that's why I want to bring it up again. It's no like shot at the person. Cause I don't even know who it is, but um, it's more like the trade etiquette. And it, again, NFPC, you can't make trades, but a lot of people are trading, especially with these injuries and leagues with ILs, the waiver wires are just empty. So you have to make trades. Like you're going to have to do things like that to make it work. You have to go in there. And I've heard some really, really good people that trade a lot. Like they've said it, you almost have to go in there. If you're offering the trade on paper, maybe you're losing it a little bit, but you'll actually get it to go through so you you get the players you need. Uh, don't go into every trade thinking you're going to smoke somebody because all you're going to do is make someone angry and then everyone will trade with you again. So it was just an interesting, like I saw that. I'm like, well, that's a fun little mini discussion we could have. Like, do you have any other tips on trades? Because trades are tough because trades can make people angry at each other. Trades, uh, there's a lot of ego involved and a lot of idea. Uh, I got better than you did type thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, when I when I look to do trades, and you know, I've only got the couple ESPN leagues that that allow the trades, so making trades is not a big part of my process as far as uh, season long fantasy baseball goes. But uh, I have been trying to you know peruse a couple trades in in both of the the two leagues that I'm able to. You know, I've been looking at you know how how can I get some upgrades and stuff like that, and I kind of looked through it. Um, you know, just like a real easy um way to to kind of come up with a good framework of a trade that that might make it through that that'll make you some uh make you some money make you some some stats whatever you want to call it um you know take a look you know if you can find uh, a guy in your team that was picked like 80th 90th overall and and you find somebody on their team that was picked like 80th 90th overall um and, and maybe the guy on the other team is a little bit more balanced and, and has those stolen bases maybe you know like like uh, for instance, I mean, it's not like a perfect, um, let's see, let's think like Cattell Marte for Whit Merrifield. You know, both those guys were in like the 30 and, you know, uh, no, Cattell Marte was further back. He was after 50. He was like, was he in he the 60 Jose Altuve. He was Jose Altuve range. <laughs> yeah, he was back there. Yeah, Altuve like 90th, um, which, you know, I, I have both of those those two guys in, in all the leagues. I drafted them all because both of them looked like huge values. And, and of course, uh, without – that injury to Marte, I, I think that, you know, probably would have looked like they have ended up to be uh, great bargains. But um, anyway, back to the question, it's like, you know, if you can find two guys that, you know, look at where they were ranked preseason, um, you know, most guys, their their values from here forward probably shouldn't have changed a whole lot. You know, whether they were out the last two months or they're out for half of it, or maybe they underperformed a little bit. Um, it, the, our, our outlook on them for the rest of the season probably hasn't changed a whole lot, maybe a little. Um, so if you can look for a trade where, um, you know, you can get a little bit of an upgrade that way, like it would have been an upgrade in March, um, but looking at it now, because maybe that guy had a few, you know, really bad weeks, maybe he was playing hurt. If that's going to help you push together, um, you know, get a trade. I mean, you know, look look at the rest of the season just kind of based on the way that you looked at it in Mark. It probably hasn't changed a whole lot. Yeah, 100% with you there. That's a good way to look at it. The other thing I would recommend, because it's so tilting at times, don't offer like a three-for-one 
or something because in the end you still have to drop two more guys so is it really a three for one no you have to like when you look at the trade you got to picture the whole package like who are you getting rid of who are you doing this now is it as uh what you really need or is it not type thing like it's always good to get that big name and give up three pieces you think but at the same time like how are you replacing things and moving that around it makes it almost even harder to make that trade let's make an even trade let's get the pieces across and um it's not easy but it's very doable too because i see a lot of guys that trade often and they uh, they make it work pretty well. So, well, and 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 also too, if you know if your if your trade looks like two guys pretty similar players, and then these two guys are two pitchers that are pretty similar players, and then the third guy, one guy is like basically droppable, and the other guy was an 80th overall pick. Yeah, <laughs> probably not going to work. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of do some do some work into it before you, uh, you you hit the send button, and uh, you'll be surprised what can come out of it too. So just a little something to think about. Let's talk about some recent news real quick. Um, Jacob Degrom he left with a shoulder injury after three innings, striking out eight in nine. Perfect game. He had three perfect innings. The guy is ridiculous. Like you play DFS, the dude still put up almost twenty three DK points in three innings. Like it's absolutely bananas what he does. But the shame of it is, it's every start now. It's like, whoa, what are we doing? Uh, he had the MRI. Results came back. They think he's okay. Probably a small AL since what they're hoping for. You're obviously not dropping Jacob DeGrom. But what are you doing with him going forward if you want to make it a DFS perspective, you want to make it a season long? This seems like he's going to have some kind of lingering. It's a different injury every time. Yeah. Uh, it, it's absolutely wild. Um, it feels like and – I, and I probably saw something along this line on, on Twitter, and I, I wish I could remember – you know, who, who wrote it so I could give them credit. But it feels like to me, like, you know, one of those injuries happen and maybe there's a little compensation for it. And then that compensation, that next start causes a little bit of soreness elsewhere. And then you get to the next start and there's a, another kind of a little compensation there um, that's causing that one. Um, what, what's absolutely wild to me, um, <laughs> what, what I really want to talk about here is the fact that a different injury, something that, you know, so going based on that premise that, you know, he was compensating for something, you know, a, a little bit there and he's still got the best command out yeah. of anybody in baseball. And it's not even super close. My, I wrote a tweet yesterday. I thought it was pretty good. Um, the, the best pitcher in baseball is definitely Jacob deGrom, but what's amazing is the second best pitcher in baseball is injured da- Jacob deGrom. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely amazing. Absolutely yeah. amazing. Um, what are we going to do with Jacob deGrom? Uh, I kind of, you know, DFS is just such an absolute monster uh, of a mind game. Um, in in DFS, I'm just going to do whatever's not popular. Yeah. Uh, if it feels like everybody's feeling comfortable um, using him in, in the next start and he's going to be like he is on a lot of slates, like 70% owned or whatever, like yeah, there's, I don't think, uh, you know, 70% when, when you take a look at the chances that maybe has a start where he looks like a human not a lot of chance there, but still, yeah. there's something in there. But the the odds that he leaves a little bit early, um, you know, when, when you weigh that out, seventy percent, no thanks. If everybody's scared off of him, like, oh man, I I'm not going to put my eggs in that basket. He's probably hurt. He's probably coming out early. Like, oh man, if I can get Jacob Degrom uh, at twenty five percent owned on, on a normal slate, absolutely, I, I'm going to do that. That's that's kind of worth it there. So. As far as DFS goes, you know, my my decision's not going to be based a whole lot on Jacob DeGrom. But as far as season long, I mean, you just – the same thing we're doing with, with crypto. Um, just, <laughs> just close your eyes, cross your and fingers, pray. and just just hope for the best. I You know, season long, I've, 
I'm going to leave him in there. If they're going to start him, uh, I'm going to leave him out there. I can't. When's his next start going to come? What What is it? Um, well, he pitched up, yeah, it'd be like Saturday or Sunday. Yeah, it would be like the, the weekend or whatever. So Sunday night when we have to really make this decision, um, we're, we're probably going to have a lot more information to make that decision on. So things will probably change between now and, and decision-making time there. But we'll just have to see how that next start goes. Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine an aisle stance coming. Like they need to just let the dude sit for a little bit and get it together. But um, Phil Dussault is a very, very intelligent man. We, he's a robot for a reason. He can do stats like crazy. He, he put a tweet out earlier today, and some met it with some controversy. But, you know, DeGrom, 0.059 ERA so far, which is just bananas. Now, if for some godforsaken reason he misses the rest of the season, like if this injury somehow turns into something crazy, you could replace him with, like, say he, he picked like an average player, Bruce, Bruce Dimmerman. Dimmerman. Yeah, off the yeah. off the waiver wire, use his rest of season projections, and he'd still have like an ERA in the low threes and be like a value of a second round draft pick. I think if if we started to see whatever his final total was, it was just crazy. That's how good Jacob Degrom is. That was the whole point of my my statement there. He's been ridiculous, and um, yeah, you're gonna play him regardless. But just I just hope he gets healthy and can play. Because the other thing is, I think you you quote tweeted it the other day that thread where all of his players he's been with or has like former players all saying there's no he does not use sticky stuff he's that good was one of the coolest threads i've ever seen like no 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 he's that filthy like that that filthy so yeah we'll see tyler glass now a guy that does use sticky stuff he's talked about it he actually to me i don't mind the sunscreen and rosin thing that's like command that's not the i'm gonna try to throw the spinniest of spinny to you but that's a whole other we'll discuss that later but uh he said he did not use it this last time out and he was gripping the ball harder that could have led to his injury. Who knows? UCL injury. They moved to the 60 day. IL is pretty much done for the season is the way I look at things. Um, so we're, we're pretty much done with glass now, but they're they're for now putting Waka in his spot. The hope is eventually Patino. Maybe how would you go? But say you had glass now, what raised pitcher maybe would you be looking at? Uh, yeah, that, that's a tough one. I mean, if, if I'm cutting glass now, I mean, I'm going to take a look around and it might not necessarily be somebody from the Rays that I'm going to look to replace him with, but, uh, Patino is definitely interesting. Absolute blue chip prospect from years past when, uh, he was a San Diego prospect there. Um, I mean, I, I, I think Patino is somebody, it's really going to depend on the type of league you're in. I mean, you're, you're going to want to um, try to grab Patino and, and you're going to stick him on the bench for a while. You're going to have to see what happens there. Um, you know, Waka is somebody, I know that he's pitched well uh, in, in Tampa Bay. Um, it doesn't surprise me that maybe Tampa Bay's made some adjustments to um, the way that he's approaching his starts that are, are making um, a little bit better results there, but he's also just been kind of an opener guy. So, um, Waka is somebody that, you know, if they go and stretch him out and, and they're going to try and use him as more of a traditional starter going forward, um, then I'm probably going to expect a little bit more the Waka that we've seen before than the one that we've been seeing that, you know, he's going to pitch two innings. So he's he's able to go out there and, and kind of give 100% for those um, two innings there. So probably not going to expect, you know, I'm not going to just take his numbers from the first two months of the season, extrapolate them out and say, okay, this is the guy that I got right now. Um, so, uh, yeah, Waka, Waka is not going to be super interesting to me. He's a tough guy to, to get on these days. Like you mentioned the two inning thing, you can make that work for sure. You can kind of hide the warts in that scenario, but even like steamer rest of the season, they, they got him throwing 52 innings with an ERA of almost four and a half still. So, and they strike out. Yeah. It's, it's going to be 
tough to uh, to make that. It's definitely not the same as Tyler Glass now, folks. But you're not going to find Tyler Glass now on the waiver wire. Patino would be good. It's just a matter, like you said, do they let him go? They have a lot of options that could be a opener type situation for the Rays. Uh, Josh Donaldson left with a calf injury. The dude just it's, it's getting frustrating. I I didn't draft him just because I knew there would be headaches with him. But the talent's there. It's really really good. If you're uh, if you're into Donaldson, what do you you're, you're putting him on the IL? But what what level of confidence do you have in him going forward? I mean, mostly just as a baseball fan, um, that hurts. I, I'm I'm yeah. super bummed because when Donaldson's going well, when he's healthy, he's a lot of fun to watch play. He's so good. Uh, he's one of those guys. He's he's fun for DFS because he feels a little bit predictable. We we know what he can do because he's done it for so long, um, but. What am I doing with Donaldson? I actually have him on a few teams. Um, I mean, he was he was going in like the 180, 200 overall range um, preseason, which, man, if, if you uh, – I mean, I guess feels like a little bit of a pipe dream, but if you were going to get 140 games out of Donaldson, he'd blow the value out of the water mm-hmm. for, you know, 180th, 200th overall. Uh, the, the risk was there. We knew what the risk was, and here we are. Um the, the, the calf injury specifically, you know, Donaldson's been a little bit injury prone in his, in his career. But these last couple of years has been the calf pretty much every time, right? Yeah. I think it's almost yeah, every time. it's pretty much always been the calf, yeah. La- last year it started out with the calf. He, he made it back for like 20 minutes and he was back on the, on, on the IL with the calf. Um, it, you know, obviously last year was short, but it pretty much wiped out the year for him last year. Um, it, it's just, seems like it's going to be more of that this year. You know, maybe, maybe he'll be back in, in a month and maybe we can squeeze a, a few awesome weeks out of him. And then odds are we'll be right back at it. Yeah. As it's, it's just the same headache with him. It just sucks. Like you said, as a baseball fan, you want him to stay out there. Cause he's just been absolutely outstanding, but it's going to be a grind. And, and it seems like it's taking longer and longer to get back every time too. So that's kind of the bummer in that situation. It's like, if watch the reports, like Brock said earlier, it's still, it's only Thursday night. So you got a few days to get more news coming out. But if you get news Saturday or Sunday, it's a month plus, like if it's a month plus Brock, do you drop him in a league where you don't have IL spots? Yep. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, really, I mean, I really had to, Really wanted to think about it, but I mean, if you know, if you don't have ILs, uh, I'm, I mean, I'm thinking, you know, um, like uh, in an OC, yep. um, you know, you, you really just you can't go a month, you can't go six weeks um, with with the dead spot there. You know, if it was somebody that I really felt great about, like this is a freak thing, like if you got hit with the pitch and something happened or whatever, like a completely freak injury. Maybe you consider something like that, but you know the odds are, like like I said, the odds are he comes back and you know things are are cool for a couple of weeks, and man, you know it, it just seems like it's going to pop back up again. Well, I just don't know that there's there's a solution, you yeah. know, like whatever the elbow goes on the pitcher, they get Tommy John, and it sucks because it takes a long time, but they come back. Like the calf issue that he has, I can't. Eat, I've tried to look it up. I tried. I don't even know how to pronounce that. The pro, whatever it is. Um, I, I just, I don't know that there's a solution for that. Yeah. It's those soft tissue muscle type injuries that 
there's really no rhyme or reason when they're actually healed type deal. It's like they it's healthy enough to play, but how much do you reaggravate it? It seems like the more you do it, the more easily they reaggravate. It's going to be tricky, but let's talk about another guy here, Alex Bregman. He left Wednesday night's game with a quad injury, and reports initially were from like Dusty Baker and the guys that said he's going to be out for a while. That was the the explanation they give. Like it was a bad type deal. So another scenario: if we get a couple days here now, and Bregman's obviously different than Josh Donaldson, is Bregman a guy you try to hold on to even if it's a month or so? I so. I, th- I think I'm kind of getting bailed out on this question because when push comes to shove, we're not going to know. We're not going to know yeah. if Dusty Baker's words a while means True. a month or or if it means three months or, you know, five months like Eloy Jimenez. Um, we're just we're, we're not going to know. Um, you know, Bregman is different from Donaldson. You know, yeah. like, like I mentioned, Donaldson, you know, you, you spent a 200th overall pick on him. He's probably your corner uh, infield guy, maybe a utility guy for you. Uh, you know, Bregman's different. You know, you spend a top 40, top 50 pick on on Bregman. Um, I, I think the the big difference is, you know, I, I guess the, the correct question here is how long until we're going to get some news on him? Yeah. Okay. Um, some real if, news. <laughs> yeah, right. If we get to Sunday and we still haven't heard anything, is it going to kill you to hold on to him on Sunday and no. see if maybe middle of next week we we finally got some results. I mean, whatever the injury happened yesterday, it'll be a couple of days before they, you know, I I, I know I, I'm guessing they did some kind of an MRI, but like when yeah. swelling's up, I mean, there's there's still things happening. They're still not going to know yet. Um, I I can see this weekend I'm going to hold Bregman and see what yeah. happens. And if we don't have any news during at some point next week, kind of telling us okay, we're we're looking at four to six weeks or he's done for the year. At that point, you know, maybe the following weekend we're going to cut bait. Um, but but the difference of next weekend versus the following weekend, I think we need to wait on that news. 100% agree. You said that very, very – you said it perfectly. Bregman's one of those guys. He was a, you know, second-round pick or something. He's not a guy you're just going to drop until you get that ex- – like you need that, hey, he's out like two to three months or something. Like you need that big – like even a month, I'm thinking I'm going to try to hold him as long as possible. Now I'm like two weeks. If I have so many other things, I need to make moves. Yeah, Bregman might be the one that hits the chopping block. But for now, you kind of wait and hold out hope that maybe he heals faster than you think it's a two- to three-week injury or something, and you're good to go. Because his, his talent level is too good, especially in that Houston offense, which is on fire right now. Um, as we're talking, they have a 10 spot on, on the White Sox. They roughed up Dylan Cease. My question for you on that one, though, is Abraham Toro got the start. I've never been overly impressed with Abraham Toro, but he did go deep. He went deep tonight. Um, if you're desperate, 15-team leagues, is this a guy that's going to run out there every day are you throwing any type of bid out on him? Well, I I don't is I mean how much is he, is he going to play because Dusty Baker really does like Aledmus Diaz, right? That's true. That's true. I mean, Dusty is a big fan of Aledmus Diaz and Dusty and his veterans, man. Dusty and his veterans, his veterans, man. These these old guys, man. Him yeah. and, and Tony Larusa. I mean, he's obviously a lot more likable than Tony Tony Larusa, but. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, I, t- yeah, Toro. There's got to be other. There's got to be other options out yeah. there for me. Yeah, I mean, Toro. He's not particularly young. I didn't pull up his page. He's not particularly young or anything like that. Um, yeah, he's uh, know. he's he's 24. I'll be 25 in December, so he's young. Okay, I you know I if it's a lot of other teams, then you know maybe you give him a look because they're going to give him a look. But I, I think at best he's going to split time with uh, with old uh, Diaz there. 
Uh, that's a great point. I wouldn't be shocked if Diaz fully healthy would probably get a healthy run over there at third base. And just he might actually be worth picking up, especially if there's a lot of lefties pitching that week. He's been sneaky decent. So I could see that. And, and you know, he's he's a guy, he's definitely he's done it before. He's he's gone on a streak before. I mean, he's looked like a, a really good hitter for like an entire month at a time before. Um, you know, he, he's somebody that maybe you can try and take a chance on and catch lightning in a bottle. Um, he's been capable of that. I, I think over the course of a full season, he's going to be a little exposed. He's not really a guy that needs to be starting on um, on, on very many teams there, but uh, you could probably do worse for, for a couple weeks. No doubt about it. Uh, Eloy Jimenez, good news. We have good news, people. He got cleared for baseball activities. Obviously, that means he's still a little ways away, but in a world of injury after injury, I was trying to be optimistic the other day. A couple people squashed it, but nicely. It was surprising, the nice squash on Twitter. But I said, okay, if he starts to train now, maybe in like six weeks, let's say August between August 1st and August 15th even, we might get anywhere from four to six weeks of, let him, or of Eloy Jimenez to finish out the season, which would be awesome. He got dropped in many leagues because the early reports, Brock, where he's done for the season. Like he shoulder or the, the chest uh, done. When do you start trying to pick him up? Because like we've talked before, you can't really hold that empty weight for too long. But if you wait too long, he's going to get grabbed for really cheap and it's going to backfire. So when do you want to start going after him? It it it, it depends. Um, and um, sorry to preface every answer that I have with that. But it but does it depend. Really, Everything's team dependent, league dependent, 100%. It really does. Um, I mean, so I've, I've got some teams where my offense is great and – I'm probably not going to think about it too much if, you know, like the time that he goes out and starts his rehab assignment, if he's still available, then maybe I'm going to jump the gun there or whatever. Uh, if it's a team where, hey, this team's decent, but man, the outfield is really bad and and I could really use a shot in the arm for the offense. Maybe I'm going to be a little bit more willing, like, you know, maybe a week before that rehab starts, maybe two weeks before that rehab starts. Um, it, it, you just got to gauge how bad you're going to need him. I mean, and, and that's, you know, every team could use Aloy Jimenez, right? Yeah. No, nobody's got an outfield so stacked that it's like you're going to grab him and and then, you know, pick your spots to have him active. You know, you're going to grab him. He's going to be on your team. He's going to be active. Um, so it it is Aloy Jimenez. Um, I, I'm trying to think back through in – um, periods in the past or even this season when there's been a similar scenario on our hands and um, seeing what, what made sense then. And I, I don't really have anything that I can point to. I, I know that, um, you know, like Chris Sale, Chris Sale's already been gobbled, you know, like in all those seasons, stuff like that. People are already picking him up and, you know, what are we, you know, month, month and a half away, yeah. um, you know, and that, and that granted that's pitching, um, but still I, I'm, it's kind of I like the Framber Valdez deal when all of a sudden Framber was going to be hit. like at one point they thought he was out for the year. And now all of a sudden he was back and people were running to go grab him, but uh, you could get him cheap if you were like a, a week or two ahead of it type thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the key. If you could just be a week early, you're going to save yourself a, a, a whole lot of um, a whole lot of cash that way. Um, it's just so tricky to, to try to time that, um, you know, for me, for Aloy, if I really need him, um, then I'm going to try to pick the week before they announce a, a rehab thing. You know, if, if you can kind of mine the news enough to put that together, um, try to be a week early on that. If, if my offense is solid, then just kind of, hey, if you leave him there by the time he's starting that rehab, then I'm in. Yeah, like the bad X uh, has him for us this season playing 32 games. So I'll take that. 
with nine homers, 20 runs scored, 23 RBIs hitting 288. Like that would be a welcomed September edition. I know that much for sure. Like, especially if you need offense, like you said, or if you got a spot, basically block your league from using a guy. So there's, there's a couple angles to it as people start fading towards football. There's only like half of you still caring about the league. It gets interesting. That's for sure. So something to keep in mind there. Uh, before we get on to some DFS talk, because you are a very, very good DFS player, so I'm looking forward to talking about this. Um, the sticky stuff, I couldn't like not get your thoughts on this because everyone's talking about it. And it's like, to me, there's pros, there's cons. Some hitters want it, some don't. Some pitchers want it, some don't. There's the really, really bad stuff. Then there's like this kind of stuff that just helps a little bit. Well, we've already seen some things change. From a fantasy angle, how are you doing anything? Because I guess it's hard to really have an idea. But some guys are trying to say it's like the old before the season with the ball changing, maybe adding five feet to each ball or whatever. Guys are trying to like decipher home runs hit. What are you doing with this uh, lack of stick, sticky substance, maybe improving offense? Well, so so basically it's it's one of those things. And us DFS players have been trained um, to to kind of recognize this and, and try to figure out where the where the profit's going to be um, in when there's uncertainty. And for me, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't we don't know how this is going to change things. Um, so I'm going to let others react to the uncertainty. I'm going to let everybody that thinks that they know, like, mm-hmm. you know what? This means that Garrett Cole is not going to be good anymore. So I'm going to trade him away. Perfect. I'm, I'm buying because nine times out of ten, the pitcher that I'm going to trade you for Garrett Cole is also using the sticky stuff. And uh-huh. it will be affected the same way. You know, like like how many different pit, uh, players have to tell us that, hey, all these guys are doing it. Everybody's yeah. doing it, you know, except for Jacob DeGrom, of course. Whatever. Yeah. Or that's like, like, it's at least like 90% of the guys. Like, it's, I mean, 90, yeah. 90% of the guys. And, yeah. and there's not, you know, when, uh, you know, and I've thought about posing this question for a friend of ours uh, on, on Twitter there, um, Derek Cardi. I'd like to pose the, the question to him. Um, when, when you're looking at spin rate, uh, we've seen a lot of these guys, you know, the spin rates down 230 RPMs, you know, whatever, 200, 180, you know, 300, 300 is obviously that, that sounds significant, you know, 300 over the course, uh, you know, if, if the spin rate on the fastball, um, if we're talking 250 down to, uh, excuse me, 2,500 down to 2,200, like anybody can take a look at that and see what percentage that is and, and know like, oh, okay, 20%. We might have something here. Yeah. I want to talk to Cardi though, and and ask him what's like a normal amount of variance, you know, for that. You know, like do do did we see in in 2019? You know, as we went from cold to summer, did we see spin rates, you know, fluctuate from a, a pitcher by 200? I mean, maybe not even the 250. Maybe by 200. Have we seen this before? Like. You know, where, where's the standard deviation here? I, I don't think we really know that yet. Um, so obviously, um, you know, those, those are all kind of the things, those kinds of uncertainty people um, that are going to be willing to to react to that uncertainty or whatever, then I'm just going to sit back and, and try to take advantage of that. You know, like, like, like I said, you know, you don't want Garrett Cole anymore. <laughs> I'm probably yeah, thinking we'll that's, you know, getting off the sticky stuff too. I, you know, my, my main point with, um, with the sticky stuff is, you know, I don't, I don't have a big opinion on it. You know, sometimes it's okay for us to just kind of admit that, that we don't know, um, you know, it's, 
you don't see a lot of that on Twitter. Everybody's yeah, no, yeah, we all, everyone's got an opinion. Everyone's got you an opinion. You can't be in the middle. Everybody's got an opinion, right? But um, you know, like with the sticky stuff, I I don't really know what's right. I don't. Uh, I never threw a pitch using any sticky stuff, so I can't tell you if if um, if sunblock and rosin is helping you spin a curveball or if it's just helping you grip the fat. I, I don't know. I haven't done it myself, um, but I, I think. The most logical thing that I've seen come out of this whole thing, and I'm pretty sure this is um, the point that Ty, uh, that Glasnow was making in in his interview, was that you you know if you want to do this kind of thing and, and get rid of the sticky stuff or whatever, that's fine. You got to do it in the off season though. Yeah, you got to do it in the off season when when guys um, can get in their own backyards before they get to spring training, yep. test it out, look at things. How can we change this? even do a spring training without it. So when you're yep. building up arm strength, you're building up the yep. arm strength based on, you know, throwing these pitches with, without it. Like, I, I think that's a, a really good point. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to talk about myself here, but I've done this in the past where I've felt a little bit of a, a, a tweak in my knee when I'm out on a long run and, and I'm like way out in the middle of nowhere. So the only way back is to just keep running. Right. Um, <laughs> And, and that little bit of a tweak in the knee, it's kind of like what we were saying with Jacob deGrom, yep. you know, and I kind of brace for that that knee a little bit. And you know what? I wake up the next day and you know what hurts? It's not like that ankle or something. It's, it's like the lower back on yeah. the other side because the way I was compensating for it throws yeah. off. Man, these guys are going right in the middle of the major league season when they're yep. ramped up throwing 100 pitches and they're just going to throw all their pitches a different way. Yep. I, I'm, I'm kind of with glass now there. That wasn't okay. That's uh, that's one of the biggest takeaways that I 100% agree with you on. It's like if you want to get rid of this stuff, fine, but you can't make these changes now because, like you said, their body is conditioned for this, and you want these guys that are throwing. The art of throwing a baseball is already the most unnatural thing you could do to your arm. Like that's why women's softball they can throw 150 pitches every day and it's no biggie because that's natural. This is not natural. That's why guys have issues with their shoulders and their elbows, and now you're asking them to change it like that. That's that's you're asking for more injuries. Like Glassnow is sadly not going to be the last guy where this happens. It's going to be yeah. more guys where this this issue happens. So that's a great point that was made. Um, the other point that I've seen, like I talked to John L from FTN on my last uh, show last week, and, and some other people have talked about it. You can just get a box of baseballs, and not one ball is the same. They either have different stitches, different. Every ball is different. So that's a big issue right there too. One's super slippery, one's not. That's why they use stuff to begin with, so they can handle any ball that comes their way. Um, and the third thing that's going to be really interesting, and I even, I even had some guys that played ball on Twitter, like not professional ball players, but guys that played ball before, like in college and stuff, hit me up when I tweeted something. They said, like, he, I played third base, and the pitcher had me put pine tar in my glove and would throw me – you notice how you see pitchers always throw a ball to like a shortstop or something right before he starts? So he hits the pine tar in his glove, not the pitcher's glove, so he's got it. Like, that's still going to be going on. Yeah. That's, that's why it's like there's – baseball trying to do this right now is just baseball ruining baseball. But we don't need a baseball – we love baseball, so let's talk positive. But I just want to get your two cents on that because I agree people are going to try to make assumptions that we really don't know the answers to. And that's that's the biggest takeaway is don't try to reinvent the wheel right now when everyone is kind of in the same like clueless boat at the situation. So just wait on that one. Well, and and then not not that anybody needs to pile on Major League Baseball anymore because I mean they've just they've made themselves such an easy target. But you know, we, we, I just want to make sure everybody's on the same page here. You know, this was a knee jerk reaction, right? Mm-hmm. Batting average is down. All of those no hitters and stuff, 
And everybody's like, yeah, look what MLB did. They changed around the baseball and now nobody can hit, you know, like it's changed everything. Like, you know, what are you guys doing over there? And right in the middle of the season, these idiots are all sitting around a room like, hey, let's take away the sticky stuff. Then they're going to throw straight pitches and guys will start hitting home runs again. And by the end of the year, the numbers will be normal and and nobody will remember what we did. And look at what they did. Now now all the pitchers are getting hurt. It It sucks. (laughs) I'm with you. It's like, yeah, they're ruining the best game in the world. So that sucks. But what doesn't suck is your DFS skills and your back writing for FT and daily. And and you you focus on single entries, which I really like because that used to be my go-to single entries and three maxes. I have a lot of people that listen to my other shows and in my chat rooms that are like 20 max guys. I'm trying to show them how to do 20 max also, like do like in the quarter and stuff like learn before you go play in the big boy things stuff along those lines but what is it that's uh, with single entries like you're a single bullet guy what is it that you like in that uh, nature well i mean for for me i, I play single entry uh, mostly because it's what i have time for mm-hmm. um you know i do a, a a pretty good deep dive uh pretty much every day like the night before then again in the morning kind of keep an eye on the news or whatever and uh, maybe some new stuff comes out you know during the day and i, I make a little bit of uh, an adjustment you know through the day or whatever and um, you know, then of course, take a look at the lineups when they come out and whatnot, but it's what I have time for. I don't have time for, you know, building even the, even the 20 max, I did the 20 max in 2018. I was pretty consistent, you know, 20, 20 entry max, um, doing those. And, and that went pretty well for me. Um, but you know, 2019 is when I switched over to just strictly single entry, um, sticking with that mindset and, and with those contests and, and I had, I had a good year, you know, big year by my standards. I, you know, plenty of uh, plenty of homies on Twitter that huge years compared to any of my yeah. big years. But, um, you know, it was a big year for me and um, I, I've, I've stuck with it. I, I enjoy single entry. I think single entry is like the uh, it, it's 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 the essence of uh, DFS. You know, it, it's really, um, you know, single entry. I like because it's not uh, your your it's a little bit projections, but it's also a little bit kind of make making your plays on the field, you know, when, you know, when you're, when you're making your, um, you know, when you're building 150 lineups, that's a whole different mindset over there. Um, single entry is kind of um, you, you make your, your cash lineup and then maybe make a couple of, you know, um, uh, choice pivots off of that. Um, that are going to be enough of a, a pivot um, that, that'll give you a chance to, to get to the top there. So um, I, I have a few rules Um and uh, the, the main one is don't enter a contest unless you can max enter it. Uh, yeah. And I stick to that. I mean, I, people that I, don't, even, I don't even make uh, in my single lineups. I don't even put them in the three entry maxes, yeah. you know, just because it, it's 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 you up against somebody else. And that guy can kind of take a look at the slate and be like, OK, I, I, I think the Rockies, you know, they're. 10%, but they're in Coors, you know, like a team should never be 10% when they're in Coors. So I'm going to roll with, with Coors, but you know what? I can kind of hedge against that with, with Milwaukee, you know, that, that guy's, he's building a couple lineups there and he can kind of hedge for himself there. And you're only making one lineup. You're at a disadvantage there. Um, and, you know, so those kind of tournaments, anytime, you know, where, where somebody's able to go out there and, you know, like, the, you know, putting a single bullet, even in the, the 20 entry max, when, when you're putting it in there, um, you know, you're up against guys that, that are able to, you know, like, for instance, tonight, um, who, who, oh, um, Heredia for Atlanta, um, 
it's not uh, Guillermo. What's his first name? Heredia hit hit seventh for the Braves tonight. Yeah. I think uh, it's, uh, it's not Guillermo. No, right. it is, maybe it is Guillermo. I think Guillermo, it is Guillermo. Yeah. yeah. Came from Seattle. Anyhow, um, you know, he had a huge That's game. Guillermo. It's Guillermo. You're yeah. Good. He he had a huge game. You know, he he hit like seventh or eighth where for the Braves, and he kind of went off, and the Braves um, stack was pretty chalky there. Um, but nobody used Heredia because he was like hitting eighth. You know, there's like the pitcher's wedge right in the middle. Even if you want to do a wraparound, you know, grab like the bottom guy and then and then stack the top of the lineup. He didn't quite fit that because there's a pitcher in the way or whatever. Um, you know, that guy in single entry, like nobody's really grabbing that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you go into that 20 entry max or whatever, if if the Braves are projected for for five and a half runs or whatever, that guy's going to be like three percent owned. You yeah. know, so if you're making a single entry, you know, to 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 win like a 20 entry max with with your single bullet, I mean, you've got to be taking real shots in the dark every single day. And it's probably going to take you a couple of years to bank one. Um, You know, if if you're, if you're a good DFS player, if, if you can look through a slate and analyze and kind of pick out where the advantages are in a slate and you're putting that kind of thought into a single entry tournament, I mean, you're going to give yourself a chance to, you know, win two or three, maybe four tournaments in a year. Uh, and, and with the way single entry goes, it, you know, if you're going to bank three times in one year, um, you know, you're, you're going to make you're going to make some good money that way. So definitely. Uh, so your your first rule is make sure you can enter it, which I agree, because someone asked me the other day, how do you do 150 max tournament? I said, I never do it. I'm like, why? It's like, I don't want to build it. A, I'm not I don't have the time to build 150 lineups. I don't care what lineup optimizer you're using. I'm not building 150 lineups. And B. I just I don't have the mindset for that, like you said. Like there's guys like Osimo and probably guys at FTN Daily that they live for that stuff because they just sit there on the computer all day putting every type of algorithm in the planet to. They probably had like 25 percent Guillermo Heredia in 150 lineups or something. Like it's it's bananas what goes on there. Where I'm just like, no, nope, I'm not gonna go there. So yeah, I'm 100 percent with you there. One thing you talk about a lot, and I really love the terminology for one, and I try to tell people about it because sometimes there's good chalk. There is. You just you, there's good chalk out there, but there's also chalk donkeys, and I think it's phenomenal because the the whole point of baseball, especially compared to other sports like football, when you you know there's this running back and he's going against this horrible defense, he's going to touch the ball 25 times. Like certain situations, like you just can't avoid that. That's tough. But in baseball, where one for four is a good thing, there's so much variance. Avoiding the chalk donkey can be tremendous. So explain to me uh, your chalk donkey. The, the, the chalk donkeys are just, they're just, uh, I, I mostly, when I tweet about the chalk donkeys, I'm like, I'm just kind of being a jerk because I'm mad. Because, it's usually because the chalk paid off, right? It's it's usually like I took a look at the slate and I saw like, okay, it's it's a bad left-handed pitcher, John Carlos Stanton. Like, you know, it, it's one of those things like any, anybody can pull up the numbers and take a look through and parse through and like, oh, Weighted runs created plus against, you know, left-handed pitchers, you know, like yeah. that that kind of thing. And it's it's like when John Carl Stanton's like, you know, 40% owned in, in a in a regular slate, like like no hitter, whether he's the best hitter against that handedness or, or not, or he's facing a horrible pitcher, like none of the hitters actually do have a 40% chance of hitting a home run. Like yeah. the absolute nuts matchup, I think, um, you know, somebody – Somebody tweeted, somebody kind of did some math behind it. And I think what they came up with was like 30% or something like that, maybe. I don't know. Um, anyway, so like my my strategy basically um it 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 bars me from making those plays. You know, my my strategy, single entry GPP, you know, 40% owned, like that. Oh, I 
automatically just can't do it. Doesn't matter how much I like it. Um, how how high is too high of an ownership? Like I think 20, about twenty percent, fifteen percent. What are you going with? Yeah, I mean, I it's obviously to, slate dependent. Like the size of the slate matters too. Yeah, no, and, and it and it changes quickly too. Like yeah. a, a fifteen game slate, twenty um, percent is about my ceiling. Maybe yeah. even lower than that, fifteen percent. Um, you know, if it's a little bit of a shorter slate, then obviously that changes thing. Maybe 30% is going to be more permissible, 35%. Even if it's like a four or five game slate, you're going to have to deal with that. Everybody's going to be like 30% owned in that case, right? Yeah. Um, so, but like on a main slate though, uh, you know, and, and and it's important too though, you know, if, you, if you've got a site, <laughs> funny I should mention, I have a site <laughs> that yeah. uh, provides ownership projections. Uh, I, I've seen a couple... Um, people, a guy, Mark, uh, I can't pronounce his name, K-N-E-I-F-F-E-R. It's not that uncommon of a name. I don't know why I can't pronounce it. Mark Kneifer. Kneifer, yeah. Kneifer, Kneifer. My, my, pretty sharp guy. I, I, I think I've only been um, Twitter homies with him, maybe starting uh, in uh, in spring training this year sometime or something like that. I'm not sure exactly when, but a uh, sharp guy. And um, where was I? Where was I before I had to try to remember somebody's name? <laughs> so yeah, ownership projections. Yeah. So if you have a site that has some good ownership projections, you know, um, you know, use those. Um, you know, Mark mentions uh, uh, a couple times o- over the last couple of months about how he doesn't look at projections; he looks at ownership projections mm-hmm. because you know most of us we follow this enough. Like, like yeah. we know John Carl Stanton can hit the ball over the fence when he's facing a lefty. You know, like we kind of know those kinds of things. But what we want to know is if, is betting on it is the price to bet on it. Is it worth it? You know, like um, think of things in terms of like if John Carl Stanton's like thirty percent owned. Like, don't think of it as like thirty percent owned. Think of it as like you got to bet a hundred bucks on John Carl Stanton to hit a home run, and and if he does hit a home run, you're only going to get back one hundred and ten bucks. It's only a little profit. It's like it's like I think he's going to hit a home run tonight, but I ain't betting a hundred bucks on it for for a ten dollar profit. You know, you got to think of things in those kind of terms. So, um, yeah, basically, um, you know, my my strategy just does not allow me to play those those big chalk plays. And those big chalk plays, you know, they they come through. Um, they, they they come through often, and especially if you compared. DFS in 2021 to DFS mm-hmm. in 2016 or whatever. Yep. You know, 2016, man, like take that thing oh, apart. Man, take was, it apart. Know, it was beautiful. <laughs> oh, it's just things are so different now. You know, if a guy's 30% owned now, it means the matchup is He's really good. good for him. Um, but still, 30%. I mean, that's no, nobody has that great of a chance um, to hit a home run and in the profit. If that guy goes out there and has a bad game. You know, Tremendous. if you're weighing risk against reward, the the profit that that it is associated, or the expected value that's associated with not playing that guy and he doesn't do well, is huge. You know, just kind of fading one of those guys can move you up how you know a, a, a ton of spots. If you roster that guy and he's forty percent owned and he hits a home run, you know, you're only getting a leg up on on like you know half half the field there. Um, so you know, when when you do that, if you've got a leg up on half the field, that guy does hit the home run. Guess what? You're still going to need really good pitching. And you're still going to need a few other guys to hit home runs. So um, basically, chalk donkey is, is just when I'm sour that the chalk comes through. But you know, at I'm the end you. of the day, at the end of the day, I I know what I'm doing. I know what my strategy is. I know that it makes sense. I I know that it's it's sound logic. Um, you know, it's it's I'm I'm not trying to minimum cash five days a week. 
I'm trying to win a tournament once a month. If I can win a tournament once a month, I'm going to make a bunch of money this year. I'm going to be super pumped about it. And, and, and the thing that you got to remember is to win a tournament once a month, you're probably going to get your dick smashed like 29 days leading up to it. And, and it, it, it's not for everybody. I get it. Yep. That's one of the biggest things I try to tell people. They get frustrated after like three days of losing. I'm like, you're playing in GPPs. You're playing in like 20 max GPPs. You're like, I tell them, you look at the rake, like 23% of the group gets paid in this thing. So that's 77% of people are leaving empty handed. That's just the way it's going to go. And if you want to make a lot of money, you got to be like, in that like 50%. Like, it's just like such a, a yeah. random deal. So you have to expect that it's not going to be for the faint of heart is the way I like to say it. So that's true. So another, another thing you mentioned, and that's why I call it good chalk at times, is it's so different, like you said, from like five years ago. There's such good content out there all over the place. So like you said, there's so many guys with projection models or this or that, or like you and I, I don't even use a ton of projections so as much as I just like know looking at numbers every day and stuff like these guys hit so on, so on. But um, if I know it, then someone else obviously knows it too, which knows it and knows it and it goes down the line. The question I have for you, especially in single entries, which is going to be different than, you know, multi-entry stuff. We talk about like leverage plays. Like you can go, you could stack against a chalky pitcher. Or if you say there's a chalky stack, you can go and take like, I've been saying with the Astros lately, you know, don't take the the top of the lineup, take like the Miles Straw at 4% and like the Michael Brantley. And if you want to wrap around with an Altuve, the rest of you is so unique. It's still a unique stack. Do you prefer to go to the unique stack route or do you prefer to fade the chalky pitcher? Um, I mean, it, it's tough. Every slate, um, I, I try to zoom out. I try to take a look at the slate and, and kind of zoom out. Um, and, man, that, that can bring about a lot of different conclusions there. Um, but I I will say, though, I mean, I, I underline that one. The, the wraparound stack is is one that I like. I mean, that's – those are good correlation plays. Everybody thinks, you know, everybody understands, you know, now, you know, five years ago, people, it was crazy. You yeah. know, people didn't understand stacking, but you know, now people understand like if you got the two, three, four hitter, you know, and those two guys get a hit and then the next guy hits a home run, you, you know, you get his 18 points, but those guys get the two points. Like one thing happened and you scored like 30 points all at yeah. once, you know, like people get that. And, and so they've kind of caught on. So the, the two, three, four stack isn't super sneaky anymore. Um, but, you know, it, it does make sense, especially, you know, I like to do it with a catcher. If I got like, you know, Martin Maldonado, uh, he's like 2K, he's like minimum priced. And I'm kind of thinking about stacking Houston. You know, he, he kind of fits in with that. So that's that's definitely something that I, that I like doing there. Um, I, I will say um, with with pitching, it it's kind of tough, um, you know, analyzing. You know, like I said, you know, a couple years ago, you know, Jacob deGrom was – in a decent spot, but he was kind of expensive in, in like the Yankees were the Yankees bats were expensive. Like you could get Jacob DeGrom at like 40% ownership. Like people yeah. figured that out. It doesn't matter what happens and DeGrom's like 75% owned. So um, people have definitely kind of caught up to that whole thing. But um, one, one big point for, for single entry that I really wanted to make on here, this is, this is the, the biggest conclusion that I've come to so far this season and I've mentioned this to a few people. Oh, somebody on the Tigers just hit an absolute yak to left field. I don't know who that was. I'm trying to keep an eye on Matt Manning and and uh, say, oh, Jonathan, well. Scope, Jonathan Scope, red hot. Jonathan red Scope, hot. look at that. Insanely red hot. Off, off Otani. Anyhow, um, so the uh, big point that I wanted to make for single entry GPP is, you know, um, there's a few things at play here that we've been talking about in terms of for, well, 
with respect to season long and, and everything else here. And it applies here too, is like the injuries, um, uh, the amount of um, what they're doing with pitching now, you know, you've, you've got like the upper, like the 90th percentile pitchers are still going to go out there and do, you know, pitch six or seven innings. You know, Jacob deGrom is, uh, you know, if he gives up three, well, he's, okay, he's a bad example. If Garrett Cole <laughs> gives up three runs in the sixth inning, yeah. The manager, you know, uh, uh, what's the, you know, Boone's going to give him a shot in the seventh inning if the pitch count's not too high or something, you know. Everybody else in that rotation, every, you know, everybody in the Tigers rotation, you know, Casey Mize, you know, if he doesn't pitch well in, in the in the fifth inning or whatever, they're not going to push him, you know. Like the, these guys are not going deep in games, and there's a lot of injuries here. Um, the basically the point is you can stack, um, you know, you can roster two. $10,000 pitchers on DraftKings pretty much every single slate and still build out the, like a really good lineup um, pretty much every single slate in, in 2019. I had, I, I noticed not do that. it, you know, 2019, it took me like six weeks to figure it out. I remember the first six weeks, things weren't going well. I was like, what the hell am I doing wrong here? And it dawned on me like every single slate you had, you know, one pitcher that was going to be like 5,800. He's going to be like 6,400. Mm-hmm. And you could take a look at things and put it all together. Hey, this guy's ramped up and throwing 100 pitches at a start. He's got a good matchup here. Um, you know, you could put the details together and go like, hey, this guy's probably going to go five or six innings. Really? If they're halfway decent, he's well, you know, 15 points. That's fine if he's only 5,800. Um, yep. You know, you could do that because because Jacob DeGrom was going to cost you 12-8. Um, you know, and, and that was the way to go. You know, you could, you could get that 40 points from Jacob DeGrom. And if you could squeeze, you know, 15 out of your cheap guy, then, then you're good to go. You got Jacob DeGrom and you've also got plenty of budget left for bats. Well, in 2021, um, Jacob DeGrom's like 10,200 on every single slate. Brandon Woodruff. I mean, tonight's not a good example because of Coors, but most of the season Woodruff, uh, Corbin Burns, these guys are like right around 10,000. Um, you know, there's, they're, they're right around 10,000. Um, and with the injuries you've got, you know, tonight we had, uh, uh, who, who is the guy, um, the little guy that bounced around, uh, Abraham's bounce, bounce around for everybody, San Diego. He hit cleanup for Atlanta tonight. Oh, Abraham Almonte. Almonte. Yep. Abraham Almonte. Wait, hitting cleanup <laughs> for a team projected for like five and a half runs. You know, the Atlanta friggin' Braves, right? He's obviously not. Marcelo Zuna, but he's certainly worth paying 40% of the cost of what, you know, Zuna used to be 5k and that guy's like 2,300 or whatever. It's just, there's, there's good value plays um, out there. There's good, there's just playing good plays that are like 2,800 every single slate out there. There's just, there's, there's very rarely is there a slate where I feel like it makes sense to roster a pitcher that's only like 7k. Um, The couple of times that I've done it in the last month, I've regretted it. Um, there's just the, the managers aren't push, pushing these pitchers. You know, that it doesn't – it's just – it's not worth it. You know, it's just too easy to spend 20K on your pitching. Yeah, no, and I think it's a great point is like, – I'll throw out the scoobles here and there and have some fun. But if you're doing a single entry like you said, I, I would definitely make sure you get too close to aces if you can. Like some slates just suck and you're just stuck with stuff. But – for the most part, you can make two aces work because the value is there. You mentioned Almonte. I, I said Straw earlier. Straw's been into two Ks forever. Um, you got Fraley's been smoking it for Seattle. He's been like twenty six hundred. There's yeah. always guys that are cheap. That you, yeah, there's there's guys you can mix and match. And at worst, there's so many bad pitchers out there. 
you can get like a, a cheap like three man stack of like Tigers who have been hitting good in some games, or even the Royals for a while. One of the, like the Orioles are always cheap. I get suckered in to Cedric Mullins. He's always low three K. You got like all these dudes, cheap as hell, and they're productive. So you can make it work, like you're saying. And then you yeah. get two pitchers. You get like a four man stack of a loaded ass team because you're already different over here. Yeah, you're sitting pretty. So there's ways to do it for sure. And but, um, there, like one one last little note about it too, like just. Um, you know, if I take a look at the pitching and I'm kind of determining like, Hey man, you know, Corbin Burns and, and Jacob DeGrom's pitching. I really like them both. People are going to be on both of them or whatever. It, it feels like DeGrom's going to be 70% like he always is. And Corbin Burns is probably going to be 40%. Um, you know, you, you know, you, you can go chalk pitching, go ahead and grab that. Um, just, you know, make sure that you don't go and like roster the White Sox against a lefty yep. or, or something like that. That's going to be super um, popular, you know, like if it's a bigger slate, if, you know, if your bats are all going to be, you know, five, 7% owned or, or whatever, um, you know, then go ahead and go with that, that chalky pitching. And then the inverse of that, um, if you don't like the chalk pitching, then then feel free to roll with some chalk bats because your, your pitcher is yep. going to be weird. You know, it's, um, that, that's a big one. I like to play single entry and I don't like to play the single entry with 5,000 entries. You know, yeah, I'd rather spend up, pay a little bit, you know, the, the, it, it hasn't been a thing this year for, for whatever reason. Yeah, the ter- so far, they're like, so bad this year. Yeah. But like the, the $50 single entry or whatever, there's like 400 entries in it or whatever. I mean, you don't have to get too wild to win a tournament with 400 people. That's a great way to do things. Yeah. That's one thing I've always said. And you, you just nailed it is you don't have to be weird everywhere. You just got to get yeah. weird in a couple spots. Like, don't think you have to be super, super. You do in, like, the 20s and the 150 maxes, yes. In a single entry, yeah. you don't. It's just, yeah. like you, you said earlier, you make your cash lineup and make, like, two tweaks or something if you want, whatever. Right. You can do something like that. And if you are a person that likes the cheaper entries, the tournaments have been so bad, but they've been filling so fast. They put, like, smaller, like, say, a $5 single entry out later. So you might not make as much up top, but now instead of having a 4,000-person tournament, it's now like a 1200 person. Like you can yeah. move things around that way as well. So something to keep an eye on. That's a whole other podcast contest selection and stuff like that. But you can do that as well. Uh, let's hit on a couple players real quick and then we'll bounce on out of here. Um, some guys that have either been playing really well. Most of these guys have actually been playing pretty well. One guy, not so much. But how do you feel going forward the rest of the season? And we'll start, I kind of hinted at him in a cheap DFS play, but Cedric Mullins has been absolutely amazing this year. It sucked on uh, on Thursday. He got hit in the head with a off-speed pitch, so he's fine. Reports are good, but it looked a little scary at first. But he's been the leadoff hitter. He gave up switch hitting, which uh, definitely is working in his favor. But the dude's hitting 320 on the year. He's got nine homers. He's got 12 stolen bases. He's getting it done, Brock. Are you a believer in what he's got going forward? And 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 not to, you know, bring up the old dirt or, or whatever there, but that hit-by-pitch looked an awful lot like the uh, pitcher trying to throw Slipped a curveball without any stuff on his hand type of thing. Kind of a bummer. That's a symptom that, that we're going to see going forward. That's um, something that well, McCutcheon, McCutcheon put out a tweet when they said that, and it was like the kid from Little Giants. All, he's all that's how I'm coming to the plate. The he's all, that's why I have to walk to the plate now because of like these guys have no control of what they're throwing. They're going to throw in godly stuff with no control now. I got to like, oh man, I didn't see that. I uh, I, I really enjoy um, the the social media interaction from from some of the players. There's a lot of good like ones. That. Yeah. That is good stuff. But, yeah, man, Cedric Mullins, I just – last year um, I'd have felt like I lucked into him if I was rostering him. Um, this year he he looks like a dude. Like like you mentioned, big thing there, doing away with the switch hitting. Um, the batting average is up. Um, so hitting left-handed, 
He's probably not seeing every single left-handed pitcher getting some days off there with uh, Austin Hayes um, being against the tougher lefties, maybe. Um, so maybe that's a little bit with the batting average there. You know, I'm, I'm you know, like like our friend, uh, big big Johnny L, um, MLB moving average, like he likes to say, um, pop the hood, take a look inside. Uh, the numbers look pretty good, man. Swing and strike rates down. Um, probably a symptom of just you know not having to try to hit right-handed against left-handed pitching any longer. Um, but those those numbers look good. Um, he's swinging at pitches out of the zone uh, even less. You know, each uh, this is only three years now: 2019, 2020, and then you know this year's shorter sample size. But those those numbers are trending in the right direction there. So I kind of like that. Um, leading off for Baltimore, like an offense that I kind of think is going to end the season like decent. Like I, yeah. I think, you know, I, I know that they haven't been great. They're not like top 20 or anything like that, but um, I, I think that they end up being a decent offense and, you know, especially they're, they're it's not Coors Field or anything like that, but you can kind of um, pick out the good spots for Cedric Mullins. If they're going to be at home all seven days for a, a week, you really want to, I mean, you're going to have them in your lineup anyway, but you're going to really want them in your lineup there. Um, that's a great ballpark for left-handed bats there. Um, so I, yeah, um, the, the stolen bases are backed up. The sprint speed is like 88th percentile. They're good. Um, he, he, he's not a stat cast guy. He's not a barrel rate guy. The, the stat cast page is a little bit blue there. Um, but if he's being more selective and he's hitting on the top of the lineup, uh, he, he's going to drum up at least the counting stats to uh, make it uh, worth your while. That's a great point you make there because like the nine home runs is already like gravy for him. You weren't you weren't drafting Cedric Mullins for the power. You wanted the speed and maybe some average. He's out producing everything. So if he just continues to just get on base like he's doing, get his doubles, just eighteen doubles. So like keep it in doubles, get on base, score some runs, steal some bags, and he should. You're going to be very very happy. There's with that a couple one. of those guys hitting behind him that have they've got to be better in the second half than they've yeah. been so far in the first, you know, Mount Castle comes to mind first. They're slowly, obviously really getting going. So yeah, there's yeah. some really good going. Yeah. It's a young team. It's a young team. So like we, we they'll go in waves. Like there's going to be some slumps on that squad, but there, there's a lot of fun to be had there. Another guy, a young guy that uh, Austin Riley, everyone loves him for his power, but usually he's a big time batting average dump when he's had his chances in the big leagues this year, he's hitting 291. He's cooled off a little bit. He was really crushing it for a while there. Like projection sites have him hitting about 250 the rest of the season, but still like 15 more home runs the rest of the way. would give him close to you know, 27 to 30 home runs this season. Uh, are you a, an Austin Riley believer, or are you kind of worried that the uh, the slump might still continue with that batting average? Okay, so I took a look at Austin Riley, and my initial read was like, you know, you're, you're looking there, he's hitting 291. Like, like I said, that's awesome. 374 batting average on balls in play. That's going to come back down to earth. I mean, it's not going to have 374 uh, BABIP or whatever. He's kind of like a 290, 300 BABIP guy, like an average BABIP guy for his career. So um, the, the the BABIP probably comes back and the average probably comes down some. Um, but, you know, the, the strikeout rate somewhere about, you know, career average a little bit, you know, it's a little bit higher than last year, but that's kind of skewed because last year was such a, a short season there. Um, you know, he, he did good last year, only 24% strikeout rate. I mean, if he can get back to a 24% strikeout rate, I think he's really going to be a force, but he had to kind of sell out for some of the power in order to do that last season. So I, I kind of think, you know, maybe if he's going to strike out a little bit more this year, but he is, you know, going to hit for a little bit more power. I I think that's a worthwhile trade-off. You know, I, I'm kind of thinking back to that same hot streak that I think that you're remembering. There was a couple week Mm -hmm. period there. I think he hit like, you know, probably five or six home runs over two weeks there. And 
um, was in our DFS lineups. Like he was basically free. Oh yeah, he's super cheap. And um, you know, an- another thing that I like about him is the opportunity cost has improved for him uh, just by virtue of uh, Marcelo Zuna not going to be in that lineup any longer. So I I, I like the idea of um, Riley being able to bat like fourth or fifth or whatever for pretty much the rest of the season. Travis Diarno is still a ways away from uh, returning that lineup. So um, looking under the hood for uh, Austin Riley here um, and the numbers are improving, you know, like, like I said, that strikeout rate was up a little bit there, um, but looking, where did the plate? Okay. So uh, out of the zone swing has ticked down uh, 19 down to 2020 down to this year. It's, it's improving each season there. Um, the, the swinging strike rate is getting better. I mean, that first season he came up, obviously he had all that power, um, 20% swinging strike rate when he came up, which is like unheard of. Like we don't even have pitchers, you know, really that have a 20% swinging strike rate. But, you know, this year down to 12.5%. So definitely good news on Riley. Um, I, I, I can see his K rate improving a little bit there. Um, so even with that uh, BABIP coming down a little bit there, I still think he probably does, you know, like what you said, you know, hits 250, hits 260, which if everybody else is hitting 232 like they have yeah. been, that's not a sink uh, on, on your batting average at all. So I, I like Austin Riley. I'm buying. Yeah, I'm buying him. And a couple things there is, A, we got to keep remembering, like we keep instilling batting average is down so much this year. So 250, 260 is like really good still. So that's one thing to keep in mind. And he's going to hit in the middle of the order, like you said. Like he's going to keep crushing. That's a very good offense. They're going to put up a lot of runs in Atlanta. So yeah, it's going to be very productive, regardless of the. Like you didn't draft him for his batting average to begin with. Like right now, he's giving you that as an extra. You just wanted power and some run production. So you're going to get that going forward. Um, I mean, it's kind of a point that we made with Baltimore. Like like you just said, there. You know that offense is going to be better. That Atlanta offense, I mean, it still has two of the best hitters in the National League mm-hmm. hitting the top of that. You know, Ozzie Albies is looking pretty good this year, too. Um, I mean, if he's going to hit fourth or fifth behind those guys, those guys have got to – I mean, Acuna might not outproduce his first two months, but those other two guys probably will, and they're going to take him along with it um, to to a certain extent there. Yeah, I, was, I, I mentioned it, I think, on someone's show. I don't know what show it was, but I mentioned it. Um, like Freddie Freeman – he hit his 16th home run on Wednesday. It's like the quietest 16 home runs I've seen yeah. because everyone thinks he's playing horrible because he's hitting 239, but his XBA is like 309 or something. Like the dude is going to go on some tear. So now he's going to be on base and all he's like, it's just, it's going to domino effect to really help Riley out. Um, another one last bat here before we had a, a couple of pitchers, Adelise Garcia, he was the talk of the town for the first couple of months of the season. Just couldn't be stopped. Uh, he's got 16 home runs there, even stole seven bases, which was outstanding. He's hitting 274. That average is slowly coming down because he strikes out a lot, and it's just, you know, regression has come to him. You're not going to get the best of batting averages going forward, but I'd imagine you still get some power speed the rest of the way. What's your thoughts on Adelise Garcia going forward? Are you still like, I'm going to plug him in and, and play him all the time? Because I used to play him every day in DFS, and I haven't even been playing him there lately because it's just he's hit a wall right now. Well, I, I feel bad to report this. Um, I, I kind of root for every every player, um, e- even the Giants. Even the Giant when, you know, whatever, year and a half ago when I pulled up Mike Yastrzemski and was, you know, taking a look at it or whatever, you know, I kind of like, oh, man, if he just does this, he could just be a little bit better. Like, I always feel like I'm rooting for the player. Uh, and and uh, Adolis Garcia, I'm, I'm rooting for him. But I have to admit, you know, we, we did a pod um, a couple weeks ago and and he was one of the guys that we brought up that we were kind of talking about. And I think me and Matt and Maddie 
all three of us agreed like sell strikeout rate is like way too high. There's, there's no way he's going to be able to do it. It was just one of those super typical, the guy shows up, nobody has a scouting report on him. Nobody knows how to pitch to him. He, he's out there hitting home runs. He hits everybody's fastball over the fence. And as soon as he gets, you know, whatever, a few weeks, gets a month into the league, the book is out on him a little bit and the league makes an adjustment. And, you know, we've heard this a million times, the difference between the great players and the kind of not as great players, the difference is how fast can they adjust back to that? Mm-hmm. So the league's made an adjustment to, to Adolis Garcia and, uh, so far, he hasn't adjusted back. I don't think my dudes hit a home run in in three weeks. I mean, he had a um, he had a weekend there. He had like five home runs over the course of five days. Um, kind of a, a crazy deal there. And then, yeah, I, I I think it's three weeks now, and he has only two extra base hits, two doubles. The the league's adjusted back to him, and and he's a little bit slow to adjust. I like 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 you said, I think there's going to be some power there. It's great. He's in Texas. They got nothing to lose. Exactly. So he, he can run. Um, I, I think he's going to be useful, but I think your opportunity to sell high on him has passed you by by a couple of weeks. Yeah, selling high is going to be tricky now, but like you said, is they have no reason not to play him. So he's going to get the playing time in Texas. And it is a game we talk about with prospects all the time. Like they come out banging because the first thing teams try to do is, can you hit my fastball? Okay, well, he hit the fastball. Now it's like it's Pedro Serrano time. Can you hit a curveball? Figure it out, kid. If not, like, and there's there's scouts watching them. There's there's holes. You got to make those adjustments. So we'll see how it goes. I think he'll still be quasi productive, but the uh, the the massive production we got not happening anymore. A uh, couple pitchers to talk about real quick. We'll head on out of here. Eduardo Rodriguez. This is a guy that a I was pulling for tremendously because the story is amazing. Like he battled back from you know, had the heart condition due to COVID and everything. Awesome story. Seems like a great guy. Um, I've been a fan of his for fantasy for years. Value was great in drafts, in my opinion. Um, he's always been a workhorse. He's had a, a rough go of it, four or more in runs in like eight of his last nine starts. But you look at his ERA compared to his XFIP, it's almost a three-run differential. His K-to-walk percentage is over 20%. Like there's some things pointing in the right direction. But then when you watch him pitch, there's other things going like, I don't know if this is the direction I want to be going in. So what's your thoughts on Erod? Yeah, I you know, he's somebody I, I didn't draft him. There was a little too much uncertainty for him, and I felt like he was being – Drafted with a level of uh, certainty, maybe no. I guess that's not necessarily true. He was like in the two hundred range, top yeah. two hundred, just right on the edge of top. Like 200 the Marcus Stroman world. Yeah, so he was. Kind of, I guess he was a little bit of a discount there with with what we were kind of probably expecting to be able to do. Um, yeah, I, I like I said, I don't have any exposure, um, but I was just taking a quick look there. I mean, super unlucky, obviously. I mean, first thing that pops up. 62% strand rate. Nobody does that for more than a couple. I mean, it's kind right. of amazing that he's been able to post that low of a strand rate over the course of two months. Um, so not something that's going to continue there. Um, that strand rate moves back up like I think 78, 80%, um, somewhere in that range is pretty normal there. So that is a significant change there. Um, you know, he he's striking out a lot of guys that, that you know, K per nine, I, I know we prefer K rate, but I have to scroll all the way down there to see K, <laughs> K rate 27%, 25 in 2019. I mean, he was really good in 2019. Mm-hmm. And, and the K rate's up 2%, which is not huge, but it's something. The walk rate's down 2%. I mean, he's he's improved his K minus walk rate. Um, I mean, if you can be that good in 2019 and improve in strikeouts and walks, um, you would expect you know pretty good results there. So obviously the results of 
they've definitely been bad. 6.2 ERA. How many guys have a 6.2 ERA? I mean, not many. Hands Luis off. Castillo raises his hand. No, it's kidding. <laughs> Luis, Luis, Castillo, Luis Castillo, I mean, his thing wasn't luck. He was just yeah, shitty pitcher for a little period of time there. But, um, but yeah, just taking a look at the numbers and then, you know, the, the expected ERA, the XFIP, all the different numbers, literally every indicator is telling you um, that Erod is going to be fine. So I, I can roll with that. Yeah, I think he's a guy that like I've been kind of I haven't been starting him every week, but I'm afraid to drop him because there's other guys like Dylan Bundy. We kind of hinted at I'll drop Dylan Bundy. Like I'm I'm kind of there now. There's things with the Erod where it's I could see a positive angle starting to come up with him. It's just a matter of can he pull it off. So I'm a little bit more patient with him. We'll see how much longer though, because the, the the amount of patience is getting shorter and shorter. Now a guy that I was patient with early because the season started out a little rocky for Frankie Montas. Two of his first four starts, six turn runs or more. It wasn't great. But he's really started getting it out, like three earned runs or less in all but one start since that start in April 21st. That four start has been basically his last 10 starts, only one start over with four earned runs or more. He's been very, very good. Um, I'm, I think I'm in on Frankie Montas. I'm comfortable now. It's kind of questionable at times in my start with him this week. What's your thoughts on Frankie Montas? Yeah, I, I kind of like Montas. He actually, the podcast I was on like last week, they, they kind of brought him up, and I, my answer was like shrug, like, I don't know. Sure. No, I don't know. I didn't really have an opinion. Um, I'm, I'm kind of taking a look now. And, you know, I, I did a little bit more of an evaluation on him on, I believe it was Tuesday he pitched. And so I was taking a look at him for um, uh, DFS for that day. And, and I took a little bit more. I, I like what I see, you know, that um, velocity kind of started out, you know, almost 98 miles an hour or whatever, but uh, tailed down, but, you know, between 97 and a half and 96. So he throws hard there. You know, I, I pulled up his Brooks page. Take a look through there, um, the 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 game log on on Brooks, and you can see pitch movement, horizontal, vertical. Brooks is fantastic website. Um, you know the um, the his, his velocity down his pitches. I mean, things are just pretty consistent with him. Uh, the the velocity, all the different movement numbers on there, uh, everything just kind of looks like a flat line uh, across the season from from start to start there. So. Um, I'm not really seeing anything super um, fluky with what's happened with Montas so far. And I mean, he's definitely been solid. He's, you know, 4.2 ERA is, is not our favorite, but another guy, you know, XFIP 3.9, a little bit better than that. The one, uh, 1.3 home runs per nine, you know, he's been kind of a guy's, um, he gave up some home runs last year. That was a little bit of a problem, but it doesn't seem like he's, he's brought that problem in in 2021 so far. The bad, bad not crazy. Strain rate's not crazy. I mean, He's he's been solid, and um, there's not a lot of luck behind it. So I'm I'm kind of with it. Yeah, I'm with it too. Like it was one thing. I was, it was tough to see if he can go deep enough into games or this or that. There's always a question mark on. It's kind of like you as those last couple starts in DFS. I've started to look deeper and deeper, and I'm like, I think he's figuring it out. Like it seems like things are. This is I tell people this all the time, and I'm pretty sure you'll agree with me. I know Vlad agreed with me a couple weeks ago. Playing DFS is maybe a better season long player because you see things so much more. Like I I tell people like. You don't have to play DFS, and I know I'm not a DFS-like expert compared to many. Just listen to my 30-minute show every day because at least you'll get a run-through of players that are doing things. Like You'll get things for your season-long team that will help. So I think it's a huge asset to uh, to another part of DFS I think is very undervalued. So. You know what? When we get to Sunday night, when we get to Sunday afternoon, you know, fab, fab is what it is or whatever, but like Sunday when I'm taking a look at my um, teams and the inevitable – uh, taking the inventory, who's coming out, you know, for the week, who got hurt, you know, that kind of thing. 
I mean, I'm making a lot of those decisions. I don't need to look up anything. Yep. Um, you know, there's 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 the periphery, right? There's like Dom Nunez, you know, are, are the Rockies at home? If they're not at home, he's not going to be my catcher this week or whatever. There's there's those kinds of decisions that you're going to pull up on your phone and take a look at or whatever. But you're absolutely right. Being a DFS guy, um, you know, is this guy playing right now? Is he on the field? Is he playing well? What's you know, the team context? All those kinds of things. It, it, it's right there on the back of your hand, you know, just like that. Yep, it's beautiful. Uh, last guy, I can't wait to get your thoughts on him because Taiwan Walker is just—he's. I'm so torn on him. I own. I haven't. I don't have him rostered anywhere, but I seem to lately decide. Okay, DFS. He's cheap. We're gonna play. We're gonna dance and see what happens because he's been outstanding. 12 Ks in his last start, a career high. Uh, but then he has those occasional starts with two Ks, and you're like, okay, what the hell's going on here? He's had walk issues. Those seem to be kind of remedied for now. Um, what's your thoughts on Walker? Because He's been better. He's been better than he's been bad. I'll put it that way. But he's still been a headache to me. Yeah, I I like Taiwan Walker um, just because. God, this is going to be a weird thing to explain. This is one of those things that kind of exists in my head, and and I just kind of roll with it when I'm uh, you know doing you know whatever doing my teams. And and I'm with you. I didn't draft him this spring. I didn't really. Um, I was a little bit worried that they were going to sign him and. St- you know, Syndergaard was going to come back on some kind of timetable. Like uh, at, at that point in time, Carlos Carrasco was still part of the, the conversation there. I was like, it's going to get to a point that this guy very well could be the sixth best pitcher on a team that's not going to run a six-man rotation. I was a little bit worried about that kind of thing. So I don't have him. Um, but, you know, DFS-wise, like I, I have been impressed. I mean, he's been solid. The, the 13 strikeouts that last start were yeah, – we're not going to expect that or whatever. That, that's not going to come around too – too long for, for what it's worth. I mean, he's throwing pretty hard that in that start 94 and a half miles an hour. Um, but I am expecting a solid pitcher, you know, from here on out, he's definitely a guy in um, he's super weird. So I like him um, because uh, three years ago, he was a reverse splits guy, you know, four years ago, reverse splits. He was a guy, Oh man, he, he came, he came to town. I ended up going to the game. He came to town to face the Dodgers. And I think every right-handed power hitter on the Dodgers hit a home run off in that game. Um, <laughs> super predictable. And people just automatically – this is like my, my my one of my favorite things for DFS. You know, yeah. nobody plays Juan Soto when he faces left-handed pitching. But, like, yeah. he's a beast. His power against yeah. left-handed pitching, I mean, he's a beast. You know, like – Juan he's, Soto hits everybody, people. Just, just he's yeah. the best. <laughs> you know, same thing. Like, Mike Trout is even, like, a little bit of a reverse splits hitter. Like – as good as Mike Trout is, he's a little bit better against righties. But, mm-hmm. like, you know, he's going up against a bad lefty. He's 35% owned. He goes up against a bad righty, and he's, like, 16% owned. It, it's crazy. It doesn't make sense. Anyway, I'm sorry, man. I'm full of tangents. Uh, but but, but uh, Taiwan Walker, um, so he he made a conscientious change to, to his repertoire, to his strategy. Um, somebody, I don't know what organization, I don't know what front office did it, you know, somebody took a look at his stuff and, and analyzed um, the results that he was having and, and made some kind of suggestion to him. And he is now a traditional splits pitcher. He is um, super tough on right on right handed hitters and can be a little bit susceptible to the lefties, but definitely gets a swing and misses against the lefties there. And um, so for me, like a, a pitcher who's he's not super old or anything like that. He's not too old. He was you know former um, top prospect. He's 28. He's probably right there in his prime. Um, and, and he's gone out and made big adjustments there. Um, I'm kind of expecting success from him. Um, you know, I, I know that that's 
a little bit narrative e and and not not necessarily the um, the the number analysis that that we're used to um, doing on guys. But uh, yeah, he's he's pitched well. He's a little lucky. The bat BABIP's kind of low two two forty six for a batting average balls in play. There's not a lot you can do that where you can expect that to continue. But nine and a half strikeouts per nine. He's he's missing some bats there. Um, you know, like I said, thirteen strikeouts. Probably not going to expect that anymore. But you know, as long as DraftKings you know, keeps pricing him at like 8K. Yeah. I mean, you know, as, as long as he ain't facing like Boston or something. Yep. You, can, you can rock and roll. No, I'm with you. And, and don't worry about not being too statsy. I'm I'm much more narrative street guy than uh, – that's why Toby and I on Tuesdays, Toby's a stat guy. I, I do the narrative speak. Um, so I have no problem with that at all. But, yeah, it's it's weird with, with Walker. It's like – because I remember the horror stories. Like, we were, we've played this long enough where you remember the good and the bad of every guy. And Walker's just, I've never gotten him right, it feels like. But this year, he's seems like he said he did a pitch mix change. They did something with him where things are starting to go in the right direction. Because, you know, remember, even when he went to Arizona after like the, that trade, he got hurt, and then he started pitching for him, and it was just destruction. Like, it wasn't yeah. good at all. So, um, looks like he might have figured it out now. So, that'll be good, good to go. But, uh, Brock, that's going to wrap it up for us this evening. It's been a pleasure, my friend. Uh, before we... Before we head out, plug away everything you got going on where they can find you, all that good stuff. Yeah, first of all, I mean, I got to say, you know, I've done a lot of podcasts. That's about as much information as ever been packed in an hour and 23-minute long podcast. We we cover a lot of ground. We covered every different kinds of fantasy baseball yeah. there is. We touched on pretty much every single team. Um, and, and still, man, that was a lot of fun. I, I appreciate you having me on. Um, as for – my content, um, you know, I, I want to plug uh, FTN Daily uh, just tomorrow is going to be my second post there as far as writing a single entry GPP um, article. Uh, you know, most sites have guys writing great articles and stuff like that. But all of those guys, not all of those guys, most of those guys are guys that are playing 150 entry max. Mm-hmm. They're playing 20 entry max. They're building tons of lineups. They're looking at, at things through different lenses than you and I are looking through. And so I'm writing a uh, an article based on single entry GPP, and I think that's going to be unique to our site, and I think it's going to be very successful. Um, I don't win every day, um, but I'm 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 making worthy bets every day, and I'm going to try to pass that along on FTN daily. Um, that's going to be available on Tuesdays and Fridays, um, and then of course the FTN fantasy team, uh, me and and Matt and Maddie. Uh, the guys doing our podcast, not every single week during the season. We've been more bi-weekly, um, but you can catch us there. And then uh, I'm I'm sure anybody else listening, you know, you want me to be on your podcast, uh, I will tell you in advance. I'd love to. Hit me up. Yeah, Brock is an awesome dude. As you can tell, it's like the, the conversation is easy with Brock. And it's not just because I've known him now for six years, as we established at the beginning of the show. It's just he's an easy dude. He loves baseball. And like I tell everybody on my show, first-timers, we're just here to talk baseball. And if you love talking about baseball, it's an easy conversation. So um, it's always fun with Brock. Good dude. And as always, my friend, thanks for joining me. I can't wait to do it. We're going to do it a lot sooner this next time than, I, than You know what we got to do again? That Like that one last year, we, we talked about the um, – Oh, uh, yeah, the, the, the uh, strike season, season or whatever. The strike season, yeah. That was that a was good fun. time, man. We got to yeah. come up with a new topic and, uh, and, and do another flashback yeah. pod. Because yeah. sadly, I'm not going to go this deep, but I have a feeling next season we might have some free time as well. 
So it's just unfortunately, but that'll be a whole nother podcast. We can talk about it then, but uh, everybody again, check out Brock on Twitter at Brock Ness sponsor. I'm at BD Entrick. If you go rate and review to the podcast on iTunes, I would truly appreciate it. But this was Bench with Bubba episode 379. We'll catch you guys next time. a home policy from American Family Insurance because you'll feel protected no matter how the wind blows. Also, you can keep enjoying the home of your dreams. And our expert agents can help you save up to 23% when you bundle home with auto. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.